0: The information and opinions presented in this Arc Energy Ideas podcast are provided for informational purposes only and are subject to the disclaimer link in the show notes.
1: This is the Arc Energy Ideas podcast with Peter Tertzakian and Jackie Forrest, exploring trends that influence the energy business. Welcome to the Arc Energy Ideas podcast. I'm Jackie Forrest
0: and I'm Peter Tertzakian. Welcome back. Well, if you've been to the gas pump, you know that gasoline prices have been high, although I think we're somewhat getting used to it as the retail prices have adjusted to $100 a barrel oil. But behind the scenes, the other gas, natural gas, is really, has really risen in price, right? I mean, it's just, uh, and I don't think that that's been fully acknowledged or talked about because, well, we're solidly into spring here coming into summer, and that's not when consumers see those prices, right, Jackie?
1: Yeah, yeah. The price at Henry Hub is up from about $4 at the start of the year to uh, near $8 now. And depending yeah. on the day, it's a bit over yeah. eight and under.
0: And the larger dynamic is that, uh, of course, with the war in Europe and Ukraine, the uh, international gas price is really high for liquefied natural gas. And so while we hear news about the war, we hear news about oil prices and so on, What's gone under the radar is a couple of deals that were done by Canadian companies, notably Arc Resources and Termaline. They've been announcing deals with American LNG exporters because right now we don't have an LNG export terminal. We won't have one until 2025 with LNG Canada out in Kitimat. So actually, the producers here are saying, well, I want to capture these higher prices in the United States and beyond in international markets. And so they're signing up with U.S. exporters, right?
1: Yeah, they're going to supply their gas, send it through the pipeline system in North America and, and get it onto those LNG tankers out of the Gulf Coast. So that's you know a, a major change here that Canadian producers are accessing world markets and can access world markets through this very large infrastructure we have that gets us down to the Gulf Coast. And there's been some other news that's sort of gone under the radar that I find quite interesting. Uh, May 2nd, there was an announcement that a developer in the U.S. who has a proposed LNG project called Next Decade made long-term supply agreements to customers in Europe and Asia. And in Europe, it was a French utility. And in Asia, it was a Singapore trading house. But, you know, this is interesting because the U.S. has a whole bunch of projects just sitting there waiting for long-term contracts. And once they have that, they can move. They can start their final investment decision and, and start constructing. And, you know, I find this interesting because for a long time, Europeans especially avoided these long-term contracts because, you know, they were going to transition off mm-hmm. gas and they didn't want to sign it sometimes these contracts can be like 20 years long they don't want to commit to taking gas for that long but you're seeing a change and and that is gonna i think cause uh, a big wave of capital projects to move forward here as those buyers sign up to mm-hmm. longer term deals
0: so let's explore that for a minute so what you're saying is, is that like chicken and egg thing here that the companies like Chenier and others lng canada won't build LNG facilities liquefied natural gas facilities for export until they are confident that there are long-term supply contracts signed in other words buyers agree to buy gas for 20 years at some notional price or uh, contracted price which may or may not be say for example linked to the price of oil
1: yeah exactly and you know companies like shell may not need that because they have massive balance sheets but these smaller project developers, they need that because it'd be very difficult for them to get financing to build these projects mm. if they can't show there's a buyer when this is a 20 year life asset. So you have to show there's a buyer for a long time. And right. so I think it is really going to enable a lot of these projects that aren't backed by the big companies mm-hmm. to move forward.
0: We don't have any visibility onto the sort of the pricing mechanism or the prices these long term contracts are getting, do we?
1: Uh, no, but a lot of these ones that are done by the independent developers are some. Fixed based off Henry Hub, and then there's some chain mm-hmm. like you cover for liquefaction and other things. So they're usually based off Henry Hub price with some additional costs, mm-hmm. um, but they're not always uh, transparent or public.
0: Well, that's overly simplistic, but nevertheless gives sort of a sense of what is happening out there as a consequence of the Ukraine situation and the sanctioning of Russian oil and gas and the European desire to get off of it completely. So they have to find other sources. So deals are being done. And that is leading to more pull on North American natural gas. Now, you can only pull so hard because only a small fraction, about 10% of North America's natural gas is actually being exported. We're limited by those facilities. They need to be built.
1: Exactly. I mean, I think the Americans may surprise us. I think over the next five years, we're going to see quite a bit more LNG. But today, we're limited to about um, 11 or 12 BCF per day when those plants Mm -hmm. are full out. And just talk a little bit about the current gas prices. Yeah, let's do that. The situation today is that the the North American market is pretty tight already. And typically in the summer, we would see those LNG terminals not be fully utilized because there isn't as much demand for gas around the world. And um, we would use that time to fill up our storage tanks here in North America and be prepared for the winter. But what's happening now is that because those LNG terminals are full out, the market is pretty tight. And therefore, we're starting, we're getting prices that are kind of more, they're not equal to international prices, but they're getting pulled up by international prices because we have that pull of gas leaving. And as that grows over the next five or six years, we get more and more gas going out. I think that's going to continue to uh, cause North American prices to be a bit higher. I was also going to mention too, like in in the near term right now, another factor besides the fact that the gas markets are tight is coal. We still have the ability to generate power with coal in North America, and those coal prices are also moving up. So that's another factor that's kind of creating a floor for North American gas prices to be a bit higher than it would have been before, because those coal prices are are higher as well.
0: I want to just follow up on this dynamic because I don't think a lot of people are aware of it. So because of the Ukraine situation, we are sending as much as possible out through Gulf Coast LNG export terminals. Typically, at this time of year, those terminals would not be working full out. And as a consequence of the fact that we're sending so much to Europe because they need it to offset Russian gas, we're not filling our storage for winter as much.
1: Right. Yeah. So there, well, there's concerns that the, um, by the end of the uh, summer season, when people look at their projections of supply and demand, that we may be low on the storage. And, and that's helping to elevate the prices whenever there's a view that storage mm-hmm. levels will be low. You generally get the higher prices. So, well, you know, there's lots of things that can happen this summer. Weather is a big one. Sure. There is a lot of predictions that this summer in North America is going to be a hot summer. That's going to create more demand for natural gas, for power gen, for all those air conditioners. And so, if the weather becomes hot, hot, then that's going to kind of drain down those storage tanks more, assuming we're still having that LNG go out. So, that's another variable. The other one is production production despite these high prices we we haven't seen a ton of production growth but there is an expectation we're going to get some more production growth and if that doesn't happen of course that's going to really cause the markets to be more tight so
0: yeah well the good news is is that uh, you know it's been bad news in the past but the ability to liberate a lot of natural gas with modern drilling techniques is pretty impressive and so once the rigs start going out and you know my understanding anecdotally and looking at some of the numbers is that there is more drilling starting to happen in anticipation, but you could see a rise in natural gas production yet again here in North America. But I'm not sure it's going to be enough to offset this dynamic that is emerging for the fall and winter.
1: Yeah, well, and um, there is an expectation too, interestingly enough, that there's going to be a fair amount of growth in gas as a byproduct of the Permian producing oil. So there is an expectation. That's where a lot of the gas growth may come for the balance of the year. So We will see. Hey, while we're talking about low storage levels, I do think it's worth mentioning the very low storage levels in Western Canada right now. It's really incredible how low our storage is. Some of the lowest storage levels we've ever had this time of year. And on top of that, we mentioned it on last week's podcast, but there's this um, expansion project of the NGTL. It's actually called the NGTL 2021 expansion project. Well, here we are in 2022, a year late, and it's we've found out that it's been delayed again.
0: Okay, so what is N, N, G, let me guess, natural gas, T, L? Transmission
1: line? Actually, yeah, it's a good question. Maybe one of our listeners could tell me what it stands for. I
0: don't know. Everything is an alphabet soup now.
1: That's a good point. It's our regional gas gathering system in Alberta. Mm-hmm. And there was some work being done to expand it that's been delayed. And and because of this, we think we're not going to be able to get a lot of gas into storage over the summer where, where we typically would. So there are you know some concerns about how low these storage levels for gas are in Western Canada. First of all, I just want to say, should you be concerned personally, if there's no gas in the storage tanks in Alberta next winter? We would never run out of gas, just to put it in perspective. Western Canada produces right now around 17 BCF per day. And on the very coldest days, Alberta uses about 8 BCF per day. So we will always have enough gas. The difference is, you know, we're going to maybe have to see some very high prices to stop that gas from going out to the us so but we'll always have yeah. gas it, it may cause some price spikes but you don't have to worry about energy security that way because i've seen some articles written about that
0: yeah we don't have to worry about energy security but here's a great example of what we've talked about in prior podcasts is that this event that's going on nine time zones away in ukraine and then in europe for the most part is something that we have not yet felt the effects of but all of a sudden the lagged effects and the knock-on effects are starting to manifest themselves. And uh, I think uh, we're going to feel it this winter with these sorts of higher higher gas prices that are coming.
1: Yeah, I mean, with the storage levels we have in Western Canada right now, uh, there's definitely going to be spikes. I will tell you, the ni- 2019 polar vortex year was actually quite similar, although the storage levels weren't as low as we're probably going to have now. Mm-hmm. And, and when we did get that cold weather, yeah, we did get... More high prices and at Mm -hmm. times, you know, for a day or two, real, real price spikes. But on average, you know, maybe it was a dollar or two higher than than it would have been otherwise for a month or something when we had that cold weather.
0: So, Right. So, I mean, I think this all leads to a discussion. Well, is this just temporary? It'll sort itself out. But actually, the answer is I think there is a structural change that is happening here because the rush to build more liquefied natural gas export facilities, In the Gulf of Mexico, we'll also have LNG Canada, hopefully by, say, 2025. So what that really means is that North American natural gas, which has historically been bottled up within North America, all of a sudden is going to be part of the international gas price, which is a lot higher. So as we participate more and more in the pull of international gas demand, that means that the price of North American natural gas, which ultimately gets to the consumer, is going to be higher.
1: Yeah. I mean, just to put it in perspective, from 2015 to 2020, the gas price at Henry Hub averaged $2.60, right? So I don't think that's going to be the case as we start to see more and more gas go out of North America, especially if the North American market remains tight. Remember in that same period, by the way, like from 2011 to 2020, North American gas, like it grew, it almost doubled in its production. And so we oversupplied the markets. That could happen again if we saw a huge surge of supply, but I don't think we are. So if we continue to have a tight market as we do today, then those mm-hmm. North American prices are going to become more linked with the international markets because it, you know, there's going to be times when that, mm-hmm. just like today, all that gas leaving has consequences to the market here, and therefore it has more influence on prices.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, this is going to act really as sort of like a, a market-induced carbon tax for which there is no rebate. And that, I think, is going to bring about all sorts of effects in terms of, hopefully, efficiency, conservation, and then also switching, right?
1: Yeah, as gas prices go up, people do change their behavior, right? They conserve. Yeah. And interestingly enough, that surge of gas supply that we had from that, like just described, right, from when the shale gas was, mm-hmm. was found over the next decade or so, it actually brought a lot of industry to North America because it was cheaper mm-hmm. to do things like petrochemicals or fertilizer or things here because we had such cheap gas prices. But as that gas price goes up, you know, might see not for sure you're not going to see as much growth in that stuff. I don't know that it yeah. goes anywhere else because honestly, I don't know that there's cheaper energy anywhere else anyway.
0: No, there isn't. There's no, there's nowhere to hide from all of this. I mean, yeah, in the past when North American prices have really gone up, like in the first decade of the millennia you know, say circa 2003 we definitely had companies pack up their facilities and move for example to Chile to produce methanol and so we and we saw a lot of industry up and down the Mississippi River leave the continent because gas prices were too high but then what you're saying is they came back with the shale gas boom which pounded the prices down and we had that you know two dollar gas for many many years now as the price of gas internationalizes, Is that a word? I don't know. (laughs) As it internationalizes. And we we get higher prices and say, okay, well, is industry going to leave again? And the answer is no, because there's nowhere to hide.
1: Yeah, I mean, the gas prices everywhere else are going to be really high. And so it's not like, yeah, there's a place to go. Now, let's talk a little bit about what if North American price was more based on international. Well, first of all, we don't expect international prices to stay at $30 per MMBTU in the long term it's just completely unsustainable, right? Like we're already seeing European fertilizer plants and things like that shut down because they can't economically produce at those high of gas prices. So eventually gas prices, I think you know, internationally are going to come to a more normalized price. If you look back in time, if you think about 2010 to 2014 was kind of an interesting period because on the international gas markets, there was some tightness. Prices ranged between 10 and $15. They actually weakened the last five years from that range because we had a bit of an oversupply in the gas markets. But if you assume that international prices do come down back to 10 to 15, which I think they need to do Mm -hmm. so that demand remains, you know, at 30, you're just not going to need as much gas.
0: I do think that there will be more drilling for gas. I mean, I'm already hearing not only here, but even in places like the Middle East, the call for rigs and things is increasing not only to produce more oil for the deficit brought about by the basically sanctions against the Russians, but also the gas situation, which is even more acute.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And hey, hey, we're talking about building out LNG here. Don't think that the Qataris aren't planning to do that or the Australians as well. Right. So eventually we're going to get back to a more normalized price. It may take several years. So let's say that the long term price is 10 to 15 internationally, internationally, which is kind of where it was. You know, if you think about the price uh, to liquefy, natural gas from North America and then ship it to Asia or Europe. You know, our view is we're probably needing, if our price was based on international, we'd be about $6 cheaper because whatever their price is, you know, you have to take away those transportation and liquefaction costs. So possibly the range of prices, if we're based on international, would be in the range of of four to nine dollars if you take out that uh, transportation.
0: Which, you know, when you when you compare it to other systems is, is not a bad price i mean that four to nine dollars we have seen those kind of prices in the past and can live with it i mean i think what was unusual is how low the prices have been over the course of the last five to ten yeah years. like
1: 260 that's
0: really really cheap gas right <laughs> times it was like a dollar here like that's just a, it was never a sustainable price
1: yeah now if you go back pre-shale we did have prices often in the $7 range, kind of in the middle of that range. I would say, you know, I I do think probably prices are going to be more on the lower side of that range, because as you get higher, you do tend to impact demand. Mm-hmm. You know, there's conservation and and other things. So And maybe more electrification in the long term, if, if you start to see those higher power prices. Of course, today, power prices are quite dependent on natural gas as well, though. So that that's the potential range if you are linked to that international price long term. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Now there are risks
1: to this if producers start increasing their production as they did in the shale era well that'll bring the price down again yeah. and we have no shortage of gas in North America I think there were studies to show we had something like a hundred years of oh. gas at the current production now a lot of that's bottled up today because it's hard to build pipelines in North America and that big engine of supply growth in that Marcellus region it's harder to build pipelines out of that region so most, most people think, oh, that's not going to grow very much anymore. But, hey, policies can change. If North American gas prices are very high and it's deemed to be slowing the economy, things can change, right? You could have um, a policy change that enables big pipelines to be built and that supply to grow again. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's the one risk to sort of that that outlook.
0: Well, all I know, Jackie, is that our jobs are just getting a lot harder. I mean, before, all we really needed to do was, uh, you know, make Okay, so many rigs are drilling. We know how much gas is going to come on. Here's what the weather is for the winter, the outlook. So therefore, this is what demand is likely to be. And you can kind of balance it out. Here's how much is in storage. And you come up with a price estimate. Now we have to think about what's going on in the international situation, including the impacts of uh, the geopolitics of the war and sanctions and so on. We have to think about drilling in other parts of the world, it's just a lot more complex than uh, than it was before.
1: Yeah, well, let's talk for the last part of this podcast on the past evolutions of the gas market and other things that could happen here as we get the elevated gas prices when it comes to like hydrogen and renewable mm. natural gas. But I thought it might be interesting to kind of go back. Some of the stuff you have on the Energy File site kind of talks yeah. about this. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit about uh, how the gas market got started here in North America. And it wasn't actually from nature's gas it was from coal gasification
0: yeah that's right so the gasification of coal so basically in europe late 1700s early 1800s they decided that you could create gas methane ch4 you take coal you burn it you heat coal and the heated coal liberates methane and the methane is called coal gas or other sometimes called manufactured gas town gas and that was captured Put through early pipelines and delivered to homes, largely for lighting. It was a substitute for candles. Then that technology, as it spread through Europe, spread to the east coast of the United States, even Canada, places like Nova Scotia. I actually made, made it here to Calgary as well by 1909.
1: Really, we had coal gas.
0: We had a coal gasification facility. There's a there's a great postcard. We'll we'll, we'll put a link to it. It's in the Heritage Park collection. That chose the coal gasification facility. It was on 10th Avenue.
1: Oh, yeah. Let's, uh, maybe we can get you to put that on your Twitter. Yeah,
0: we can put it on. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, when uh, big quantities of natural gas or nature's gas, which was found by drilling, was found in here, it was uh, the big well by Bow Island called Old Glory. And we started then to pipe in gas and replace the coal gas with drilled or natural gas. And that was the evolution. And then there was the evolution to transporting gas through liquefaction to from the United States to Europe. That happened in 1959. The first LNG tanker was called the Methane Pioneer. There's all sorts it's, of substitutions. It's really
1: interesting. Like that, uh, here we are exporting LNG today, right? But the, that was done in 1959. And you know, prior to this huge shale boom, I mean, North America was thinking they were going to be importing gas oh, from yeah, other places yeah, in the yeah. world right so uh, what you know is things always change <laughs>
0: you know the <laughs> gas just, story is always changing and you can think of it as transitions within the gas energy complex because then of course the europeans found north sea gas and displaced lng and didn't need it then they needed it as the north sea just started to go into decline and the consumption started to increase started to import from the russians and so here we are today so, we have another evolution transition in terms of the trade of gas, but the higher gas price has some, also some interesting knock-on effects. It starts to make things like renewable natural gas and arguably even gases uh, like hydrogen potentially more competitive.
1: yeah, especially if you if you add on the fact that we have potentially a higher gas price, but also carbon taxes in places like Canada, mm-hmm. you can actually start to see some of these things yeah. start to compete and start to be able to be blended in to the existing infrastructure. Because what I really like about those, when you think about those stories is, you know, we went from the coal gas to the nature's gas or natural gas, but it really was a very quick change because you could use the existing infrastructure. And when when we talk about renewable natural gas, or we talk about uh, blending in a certain amount of hydrogen, I know there's limits to how much hydrogen you can blend in, but you can use the existing infrastructure. And I do think... That these higher North American prices, combined with climate policy, are going to help some of these alternatives be blended in you know, more economically mm-hmm. and, and hopefully get us to a lower carbon future faster uh, mm-hmm. than uh, electrifying everything. As we, we talked before on that Fortis BC podcast with Tyler Brandt, that electrifying heating, especially in Canada, has its challenges on those cold days. Oh, but yeah. these higher gas prices actually do, I think, help the case for blending in some other types of lower carbon gases, because now they can compete a little bit easier.
0: Mm-hmm. It certainly makes the case to insulate your house if you haven't done that.
1: Yeah, well, and that's the other thing, right? It, it, it Conservation, right? The more energy uh-huh. costs. You know, people really do react to pricing. I still remember the one year I spent one year living in Japan, uh, worst winter of my life, because, uh, you know, the energy cost was so high, we just froze through the winter. So this was a place where it barely froze it was barely below freezing and I thought it would be an easy winter but it was much harder than living in Canada because the energy prices were so high everybody just lived mm-hmm. without heat right so uh you know high prices really do affect how
0: people yeah, behave yeah yeah no they do and uh, I guarantee you that the North American energy ethic I'll call it is not like the Japanese where people here won't put up with freezing in their homes so it's going to be interesting to watch as always very dynamic and we will be talking about the story more i'm sure as we get closer to next fall
1: yes great well hey thanks to our listeners for uh listening to this podcast if you enjoyed it please rate us on the app that you listen to and tell someone else about us for more ideas and insights visit arcenergyinstitute.com